0: Chapter 7 of the Story of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulet. The Story of a Soul. The Autobiography of Saint Therese of Lisieux. Translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter 7 The Little Flower Enters the Carmel. Monday, April 9, 1888, being the feast of the Annunciation, transferred from Passion-tide, was the day chosen for me to enter the Carmel. On the evening before we were gathered round the table where I was to take my place for the last time. These farewells are, in themselves, heart-rending, and just when I would have liked to be forgotten, I received the tenderest expressions of affection, as if to increase the pain of parting. The next morning, after a last look at the happy home of my childhood, I set out for the Carmel, where we all heard Mass. At the moment of communion, when Jesus had entered our hearts, I heard sobs on all sides. I did not shed a tear, but as I led the way to the cloister door, my heart beat so violently that I wondered if I were going to die. Oh, the agony of that moment! One must have experienced it in order to understand— i embraced all my dear ones and knelt for my father's blessing he too knelt down and blessed me through his tears it was a sight to gladden the angels this old man giving his child to god while she was yet in the springtime of life at length the doors of the carmel closed upon me i found a welcome in your arms dear mother and received the embraces of another family whose devotedness and love is not dreamt of by the outside world at last my desires were realized and i cannot describe the deep sweet peace which filled my soul this peace has remained with me during the eight and a half years of my life here and has never left me even amid the greatest trials everything in the convent delighted me especially our little cell footnote nuns in the spirit of poverty avoid using the word my as denoting private possessions so later on our lamp our handkerchief will occur. Editor. End footnote. I fancied myself transported to the desert. I repeat that my happiness was calm and peaceful. Not even the lightest breeze ruffled the tranquil waters on which my little bark sailed. No cloud darkened the blue sky. I felt fully recompensed for all I had gone through, and I kept saying, now I am here forever. Mine was no passing joy. It did not fade like first illusions. From illusions God in His mercy has ever preserved me. I found the religious life just what I expected, and sacrifice was never a matter of surprise. Yet you know well from the beginning my ways were strewn with thorns rather than with roses. In the first place my soul had for its daily food the bread of spiritual dryness. Then too, dear mother, our Lord allowed you, unconsciously, to treat me very severely. You found fault with me whenever you met me. I remember once I had left a cobweb in the cloister, and you said to me before the whole community, it is easy to see that our cloisters are swept by a child of fifteen. It is disgraceful. Go and sweep away that cobweb, and be more careful in the future. On the rare occasions when I spent an hour with you for spiritual direction, you seemed to be scolding me nearly all the time, and what pained me most of all was that I did not see how to correct my faults. For instance, my slow ways and want of thoroughness in my duties, faults which you were careful to point out. One day it occurred to me that you would certainly prefer me to spend my free time in work instead of in prayer, as was my custom, so I plied my needle industriously without even raising my eyes. No one ever knew of this, as I wished to be faithful to our Lord and do things solely for Him to see. When I was a postulant, our mistress used to send me every afternoon at half-past four to weed the garden. This was a real penance, the more so, dear mother, because I was almost sure to meet you on the way, and once you remarked, really, this child does absolutely nothing. What are we to think of a novice who must have a walk every day? And yet, dear mother, how grateful I am to you for giving me such a sound and valuable training. It was an inestimable grace. What should I have become if, as the outside world believed, I had been but the pet of the community?' Perhaps, instead of seeing our Lord in the person of my superiors, I should only have considered the creature, and my heart, which had been so carefully guarded in the world, would have been ensnared by human affection in the cloister. Happily, your motherly prudence saved me from such disaster. And not only in this matter, but in other and more bitter trials, I can truly say that suffering opened her arms to me from the first, and I took her to my heart. In the solemn examination before my profession I declared, as was customary, the reason of my entry into the Carmel. I have come to save souls and especially to pray for priests. One cannot attain the end without adopting the means, and as our Lord made me understand that it was by the cross he would give me souls, the more crosses I met with, the stronger grew my attraction to suffering. For five years this way was mine, but I alone knew it this was precisely the flower i wished to offer to jesus a hidden flower which keeps his perfume only for heaven two months after my entry father Pichon was surprised at the workings of grace in my soul he thought my piety childlike and my path an easy one my conversation with this good father would have brought me great comfort had it not been for the extreme difficulty i found in opening my heart nevertheless i made a general confession and after it he said to me BEFORE GOD, THE BLESSED VIRGIN, AND ANGELS, AND ALL THE SAINTS, I DECLARE THAT YOU HAVE NEVER COMMITTED A MORTAL SIN. THANK GOD FOR THE FAVORS HE HAS SO FREELY BESTOWED ON YOU WITHOUT ANY MERIT ON YOUR PART. WITHOUT ANY MERIT ON MY PART? THAT WAS NOT DIFFICULT TO BELIEVE. FULLY CONSCIOUS OF MY WEAKNESS AND IMPERFECTION, MY HEART OVERFLOWED WITH GRATITUDE. I HAD DISTRESSED MYSELF, FEARING I MIGHT HAVE STAINED MY BAPTISMAL ROBE, AND THIS ASSURANCE coming as it did from the lips of a director a man of wisdom and holiness such as our mother saint Teresa desired seemed to come from god himself father Pichon added may our lord always be your superior and your novice master and indeed he ever was and likewise my director in saying this i do not mean to imply that i was not communicative with my superiors far from being reserved i always tried to be as an open book Our mistress was a true saint, the perfect type of the first Carmelites, and I seldom left her side, for she had to teach me how to work. Her kindness was beyond words. I loved and appreciated her, and yet my soul did not expand. I could not explain myself. Words failed me, and so the time of spiritual direction became a veritable martyrdom. One of the older nuns seemed to understand what I felt. For once she said to me during recreation, I should think, child, you have not much to tell your superiors. "'Why do you think that, dear mother?' I asked. "'Because your soul is very simple. But when you are perfect, you will become more simple still. The nearer one approaches God, the simpler one becomes.' This good mother was right. Nevertheless, the great difficulty I found in opening my heart, though it came from simplicity, was a genuine trial. Now, however, without having lost my simplicity, I am able to express my thoughts with the greatest ease.' I have already said that our Lord himself had acted as my spiritual guide. Hardly had Father Pichon become my director when his superiors sent him to Canada. I was only able to hear from him once a year, so now the little flower which had been transplanted to the mountain of Carmel quickly turned to the director of directors, and unfolded itself under the shadow of his cross, having for refreshing dew his tears, his precious blood, and for radiant sun his adorable face until then I had not appreciated the beauties of the holy face. It was my dear mother, Agnes of Jesus, who unveiled them to me. As she had been the first of her sisters to enter the Carmel, so she was the first to penetrate the mysteries of love hidden in the face of our divine spouse. Then she showed them to me, and I understood better than ever, in what true glory consists. He whose kingdom is not of this world, John 18 verse 36 taught me that the only royalty to be coveted lies in being unknown and esteemed as not. Imitation of Christ, book 1, 2, 3. And in the joy of self-abasement. And I wish that my face, like the face of Jesus, should be, as it were, hidden and despised. Isaiah 53, verse 3. So that no one on earth should esteem me. I thirsted to suffer and to be forgotten. Most merciful has been the way by which the Divine Master has ever led me. He has never inspired me with any desire, and left it unsatisfied, and that is why I have always found his bitter chalice full of sweetness. At the end of May, Marie, our eldest, was professed, and Therese, the Benjamin, had the privilege of crowning her with roses on the day of her mystical espousals. After this happy feast, trials again came upon us. Ever since his first attack of paralysis, we realized that my father was very easily tired. During our journey to Rome I often noticed that he seemed exhausted and in pain. But, above all, I remarked his progress in the path of holiness. He had succeeded in obtaining a complete mastery over the impetuosity of his natural disposition, and earthly things were unable to ruffle his calm. Let me give you an instance. During our pilgrimage we were in the train for days and nights together, and to while away the time our companions played cards, and occasionally grew very noisy. One day they asked us to join them, but we refused, saying we knew little about the game. We did not find the time long, only too short, indeed, to enjoy the beautiful views which opened before us. Presently their annoyance became evident, and then dear Papa began quietly to defend us, pointing out that as we were on pilgrimage more of our time might be given to prayer. One of the players, forgetting the respect due to age, called out thoughtlessly, Thank God Pharisees are rare. My father did not answer a word. He even seemed pleased. And later on he found an opportunity of shaking hands with this man, and of speaking so pleasantly that the latter must have thought his rude words had either not been heard or at least were forgotten. His habit of forgiveness did not date from this day. My mother and all who knew him bore witness that no uncharitable word ever passed his lips. His faith and generosity were likewise equal to any trial. This is how he announced my departure to one of his friends. Therese, my little queen, entered the Carmel yesterday. God alone could ask such a sacrifice, but he helps me so mightily that even in the midst of tears my heart is overflowing with joy. This faithful servant must needs receive a reward worthy of his virtues and he himself claimed that reward. You remember the interview when he said to us, Children, I have just come back from Alenon, and there, in the church of Notre Dame, I received such graces and consolations that I made this prayer. My God, it is too much. Yes, I am too happy. I shall not get to heaven like this. I wish to suffer something for thee. And I offered myself as a, the word, victim, died on his lips. He dared not pronounce it before us. "'But we understood. You know, dear mother, the story of our trial. I need not recall its sorrowful details. And now my clothing day drew near. Contrary to all expectations, my father had recovered from a second attack, and the bishop fixed the ceremony for January 10. The time of waiting had been long indeed, but now what a beautiful feast! Nothing was wanting, not even snow. Do you remember my telling you, dear mother, how fond I am of snow?' While I was still quite small, its whiteness entranced me. Why had I such a fancy for snow? Perhaps it was because, being a little winter flower, my eyes first saw the earth clad in its beautiful white mantle. So, on my clothing day, I wished to see it decked, like myself, in spotless white. The weather was so mild it might have been spring, and I no longer dared hope for snow. The morning of the feast brought no change, and I gave up my childish desire, as impossible to be realized my father came to meet me at the enclosure door his eyes full of tears and pressing me to his heart exclaimed ah here is my little queen then giving me his arm we made our solemn entry into the public chapel this was his day of triumph his last feast on earth now his sacrifice was complete and his children belonged to god footnote leone having entered an order too severe for her delicate health had been obliged to return home to her father later she became a visitation nun at cain and took the name of sister frances theresa celine had already confided to him that later on she also wished to leave the world for the carmel on hearing this he was beside himself with joy let us go before the blessed sacrament he said and thank god for all the graces he has granted us and the honor he has paid me in choosing his spouses from my household God has indeed done me great honor in asking for my children. If I possessed anything better, I would hasten to offer it to him. That something better was himself, and God received him as a victim of holocaust. He tried him as gold in the furnace, and found him worthy of himself. Footnote. Cross-reference wisdom 3, verses 5 and 6. and footnote. After the ceremony in the chapel, I re-entered the convent, and the bishop intoned the Te Deum. One of the priests observed to him that this hymn of thanksgiving was only sung at professions, but, once begun, it was continued to the end. Was it not right that this feast should be complete, since in it all other joyful days were reunited? The instant I set foot in the enclosure, again my eyes fell on the statue of the child Jesus smiling on me, amid the flowers and lights. Then, turning towards the quadrangle, I saw that, in spite of the mildness of the weather, it was covered with snow. What a delicate attention on the part of Jesus! Gratifying the least wish of his little spouse, he even sent her this. Where is the creature so mighty that he can make one flake of it fall to please his beloved? Everyone was amazed, and since then many people, hearing of my desire, have described this event as the little miracle of my clothing day, and thought it strange I should be so fond of snow so much the better it shows still more the wonderful condescension of the spouse of virgins of him who loves lilies white as the snow after the ceremony the bishop entered he gave me many proofs of his fatherly tenderness and in the presence of all the priests spoke of my visit to Bayeux and the journey to rome nor did he forget to tell them how i had put up my hair before visiting him then laying his hand on my head he blessed me affectionately My mind dwelt with ineffable sweetness on the caresses our Lord will soon lavish upon me before all the saints. And this consoling thought was a foretaste of heaven. I have just said that January 10 was a day of triumph for my dear father. I liken it to the feast of the entry of Christ into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. As in the case of our divine master, his day of triumph was followed by long days of sorrow, and, even as the agony of Jesus pierced the heart of his divine mother, so our hearts were deeply wounded by the humiliations and sufferings of him, whom we love best on earth. I remember that in the month of June, 1888, when we were fearing another stroke of paralysis, I surprised our novice mistress by saying, I am suffering a great deal, mother, yet I feel I can suffer still more. I did not then foresee the trial awaiting us. I did not know that on February 12th, one month after my clothing day our beloved father would drink so deeply of such a bitter chalice i no longer said i could suffer more words cannot express our grief nor shall i attempt to describe it here in heaven we shall enjoy dwelling on these dark days of exile yet the 3 years of my father's martyrdom seem to me the sweetest and most fruitful of our lives i would not exchange them for the most sublime ecstasies and my heart cries out in gratitude for such a priceless treasure we have rejoiced for the days wherein thou hast afflicted us. Psalm 89:90, verse 15. Precious and sweet was this bitter cross, and our hearts only breathed out sighs of grateful love. We no longer walked, we ran, we flew along the path of perfection. Leonie and Celine, though living in the world, were no longer of the world. The letters they wrote were full of the most edifying resignation. And what talks I had with Celine, far from separating us, the grating of the carmel united us more closely. The same thoughts, the same desires, the same love for our Lord and for souls, made our very life. Not a word concerning things of earth entered into our conversation, but just as in former days we lifted longing eyes to heaven, so now our hearts strained after the joys beyond time and space, and for the sake of an eternal happiness, we chose to suffer and be despised here below though my suffering seemed to have reached its height yet my attraction thereto did not grow less and soon my soul shared in the trials my heart had to bear my spiritual aridity increased and i found no comfort either in heaven or on earth yet amid these waters of tribulation that i had so thirsted for i was the happiest of mortals thus passed the time of my betrothal too long a time for me at the end of the year you told me dear mother that i must not yet think of my profession as our ecclesiastical superior expressly forbade it i had therefore to wait for eight months more at first i found it very difficult to be resigned to such a sacrifice but divine light penetrated my soul before long at this time i was using for my meditation Surin's foundations of the spiritual life one day during prayer it was brought home to me that my too eager desire to take my vows was mingled with much self-love as i belonged to our lord and was his little plaything to console and please him it was for me to do his will not for him to do mine i also understood that a bride would not be pleasing to the bridegroom on her wedding-day were she not magnificently attired but what had i made already so i said to our lord i do not ask thee to hasten the day of my profession I will wait as long as thou pleasest only i cannot bear that through any fault of mine my union with thee should be delayed i will set to work and carefully prepare a wedding dress enriched with diamonds and precious stones and when thou findest it sufficiently rich i am sure that nothing will keep thee from accepting me as thy spouse i took up the task with renewed zest since my clothing day i had received abundant lights on religious perfection chiefly concerning the vow of poverty whilst I was a postulant, I liked to have nice things to use and to find everything needful ready at hand. Jesus bore with me patiently, for he gives his light little by little. At the beginning of my spiritual life, about the age of fourteen, I used to ask myself how, in days to come, I should more clearly understand the true meaning of perfection. I imagine I then understood it completely, but I soon came to realize that the more one advances along this path, the farther one seems from the goal, and now I am resigned to be always imperfect, and I even find joy therein. To return to the lessons which our Lord taught me, one evening after Compline I searched in vain for our lamp on the shelves where they are kept, and, as it was the time of the great silence, I could not recover it. I guessed rightly that a sister, believing it to be her own, had taken it, but just on that evening I had counted much on doing some work, and was i to spend a whole hour in the dark on account of this mistake without the interior light of grace i should undoubtedly have pitied myself but with that light i felt happy instead of aggrieved and reflected that poverty consists in being deprived of not only what is convenient but of what is necessary and in this exterior darkness i found my soul illumined by a brightness that was divine at this time i was seized with a craving for whatever was ugly and inconvenient and was thus quite pleased when a pretty little jug was taken from our cell and a large chipped one put in its place i also tried hard not to make excuses but i found this very difficult especially with our mistress from her i did not like to hide anything my first victory was not a great one but it cost me a great deal a small jar left behind a window was found broken no one knew who put it there but our mistress was displeased and thinking i was to blame in leaving it about told me i was very untidy and must be more careful in future without answering i kissed the ground and promised to be more observant i was so little advanced in virtue that these small sacrifices cost me dear and i had to console myself with the thought that at the day of judgment all would be known above all i endeavoured to practise little hidden acts of virtue Thus I took pleasure in folding the mantles forgotten by the sisters, and sought for every possible occasion of helping them. One of God's gifts was a great attraction towards penance, but I was not permitted to satisfy it. The only mortification allowed me consisted in mortifying my self-love, and this did me far more good than bodily penance would ever have done. However, Our Lady helped me with my wedding dress, and, as soon as it was finished, Every obstacle vanished and my profession was fixed for September eighth, 1890. All that I have set down in these few words would take many pages to relate, but those pages will never be read on earth. End of chapter 7